Taking care of your family isn't always easy, so we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience too. With video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash care anywhere. When it's time to replace your heating and air system, we know people want options. That's why you'll always get a free second opinion with BJ Heating and Cooling. Plus, for a limited time, get 0% financing for 60 months on a new Bryant system. Call the experts you can trust at BJ Heating and Cooling. now for The Drive with Mark Ennis, presented by Fitness Market on 93.9 The Ville. Fitness Market is Louisville's premier location for home and commercial fitness equipment and electric bikes. Find them online at thefitnessmarket.com. Now here's Mark Ennis and Phil Baker. Welcome back into the drive here on 93.9 The Ville. Mark Guinness, Phil Baker sitting here on a Tuesday. We are happy to be joined by a voice you are all very familiar with, and that is Tyler Griever from WDRB. Uh, Tyler, making your way to Bloomington for a, uh, a big one between Indiana and Purdue. Uh, give us a, a, a Twitter-sized preview of that one. What are you thinking about this one tonight? Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere. Um, riding up there with Rick right now, he's threatening to take the back road. So, if, uh, you know, if the call drops, you can blame both. It's just his fault. But, um, no, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I honestly forgot for a sec that Mike Woodson was 3-1 and against Purdue uh, so far during his tenure at IU. But, obviously, Purdue's favored. They should be. They're one of the best teams in the country. And I, From my perspective, I look at it as a win that, you know, if IU could get it, it would be huge for the resume for them because I, I can't really point to a signature win that they have. I thought they were close against Kansas. Actually, you know, Rick and I covered that game, and they honestly kind of blew that game, to be honest. They, they had a good lead multiple times and just couldn't hang on. So I think it's a big chance for IU that they shouldn't waste. It'll be a whiteout crowd, and it should be a great atmosphere. It always is. What's your, your sense for – sort of how he is viewed there and how the the overall sort of satisfaction level with him uh with, with obviously you know a pretty talented roster and i think some encouraging year one uh with how things yeah. went uh, with him what's your sense for sort of how things look with him at iu now yeah i think it's probably a bit of a weird balance for iu fans because i think you do have to give mike credit for for stabilizing things and getting them back to the tournament and having some success. But here comes the rub. You, you do better in recruiting, you get better talent, and people you know are going to raise their expectations slowly back to what you normally expect um, from Indiana basketball. And I think so far this year, they, you know, they have, they'll have a good stretch here and there, and then they'll kind of have a dud like they did at Nebraska. And they haven't really defended the three-point line very well all season. Uh, I think the Xavier Johnson you know, back and forth with him is a little strange because you, you wanted him back healthy because, of course, you did. He's, he's an older guard, but he comes back, and I think he's just had a few issues with the maturity at times. Like, he picked, he got thrown out of the, the game uh, at Nebraska. Actually, I remember that. And so Woodson's kind of put Cuffs in there, and Gabe Cuffs wasn't a huge recruit at all, but I think Mike's liked him since the, the day he got in there. So I'm kind of interested to see if that dynamic continues tonight but but right now i think it's it's a 
it remains to be seen with Woodson. Like I, I, I wouldn't anticipate anybody's ready to like make a change or something like that. They're they're nowhere near that bad. Or I think they would have to miss the tournament this year and then maybe struggle again next year for that to happen. But it's just a classic case of okay, usual Indiana expectations, and yeah, you need to get it up to snuff this season. But considering what he's accomplished, he's he's done a fine job. But it's probably time to raise it to another level here soon. Well, let's let's bring that discussion home uh, here. Uh, no question that the Miami win was a one of those, uh, to use Josh Hurd's words, deposits. Uh, mm-hmm. Very encouraging. Uh, but I'm I am kind of curious what you make of the NC State loss. I I I feel like I've been overly maybe negative about that because I don't feel like that was a an effort worth celebrating. Uh, just because I don't mm-hmm. think NC State is that good. And they right. let them win in a way that they're not even good at winning. What was Tyler's sort of overall opinion of, of the effort and the, and the way the NC State game went? Yeah, I thought it was a good effort. Um, you know, considering, like, I view it in the scope of the week before that pit game at, at the Yum Center. Again, I you know, I called it lifeless, so stand by that one. And I, I can't say that about the effort against NC State. I thought it was – I thought they fought back multiple times to make it a game when – you know, I keep viewing this team in the lens of, like, there are some runs that we've all gotten used to where you're like, oh, this is over, it's going to be a blowout. Um, and it felt like it was going to get that way multiple times against NC State, and it didn't happen. So I think there's some growth there. Um, where there hasn't really been growth is the defense against NC State really was not good. I mean, there were way too many. In fact, you know, they took, if I remember this correctly, Curtis Williams hit the three, takes a one-point lead, and then over the next five to ten possessions, uh, Wolfpack get, like, three triples and maybe one of them was decently contested. I mean, that's how you lose games. You know, those are the runs where you've seized momentum, you've kind of taken control of things, you have to guard on the other end of the floor, and they didn't do that. Um, So I think if you're a fan who's looking from an effort and fight perspective, then it was a positive. But more of the execution side of things defensively is what lost them that game. Um, And I think some people kind of came at me in various ways for, for pointing out that I thought it was a, a decent week for the program. Like, you know, but the problem is, is that the hole that was dug was so deep in terms of last year's results and how this year started that a decent result where, you know, it was a competitive game against NC State might not be enough to, to really get another deposit. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a lengthy answer to it, but it, it presents the, the problem we all have in trying to cover and digest this team is, uh, you're looking at it into a, an immediate scope for are they getting better versus is it enough to uh, woo some people back for Kenny? And I think that's that's a fair discussion to be had. What's your your uh, your sense for, or you know, maybe why do you think it's true? Because it certainly is objectively. You know, we're a year and a half into this, and we're talking about the defensive effort against NC State was bad, uh, and, and that overall, Tyler, since he's been here. Uh, they fluctuated offensively from really bad to to okay at times, but they've never yep. really fluctuated as a defensive team. Why do you think it is that uh, of of all the sort of facets of a team that Kenny's really struggled the most at getting this team, either team, to play even solid defense, much less like elite defense, like we've normally seen on teams where he's been. Yeah, I would say one distinction I'll make is that I thought the defensive effort was fine against NC State. I thought the defensive execution was a problem. 
you know, like I'll, I'll use Curtis Williams as an example. Like Curtis is an offensive asset, and I think that's very clear. He's probably got the best jump shot on the team. Uh, I think he's going to be a good college player by by the time he is older. Um, but the problem is, is he'll hit a three of one, then of the four, and then he'll screw up a rotation on the other end that leaves the guy open for three. So in that sense, I can see how Kenny struggles with the rotation. It's like, look, we need this kid in there for points, but he can be a bit of a liability at the other end of the floor because he's still uh, learning and still progressing on that side of things. Uh, but to the overall portion of the question, I, I mean, again, like, I think defensively they definitely have never been like very good on that end of the floor. So you have to question uh, the style that they're trying to play or what they're trying to teach. I also think they're they're dealing with a much different roster now in trying to figure out what's going to work defensively uh, because, let's face it, a huge centerpiece for what they were going to be on defense was going to be Dennis Evans. I mean, he was going to be your shot blocker, uh, your threat in the paint, and now you don't even have trainer involved in that. Um, I don't think that excuses some of the, the missed rotations and such, but uh, it, it's, it's kind of hard to, to fully pinpoint. You know, I, I don't think they, the press, like, hasn't really worked that much. Zone has, you know, they'll throw it in there occasionally. I thought it worked for a little bit against NC State, gave them a different look. Um, but a lot of that also comes down to how well your guards are, are pressuring the ball. And I don't think Sky Clark has been very good on defense. I think he's been pretty rough there. Uh, Tyler Johnson can be a little too aggressive at times and, and pick up a foul that he shouldn't pick up. Uh, and then you're dealing with some younger guys who are probably still trying to figure it out on that end of the floor. Tyler Griever, WDRB. Uh, you alluded to the injuries, and I, and I think it's a interesting point because, yes, they are without some key pieces, uh, right. but h- how much of that do you think when we talk about the deposits, is that stock put into a decision for Josh Hurd at the end of the year? Yeah. Is it just Does it matter what the, the rest of the year looks like in being competitive? You did a piece, uh, Bozich and Crawford on WDRB, talking about the standards versus the expectation. It's not nothing, but it is something, the injuries. How much stock do you put into that? I mean, I think ultimately you have to be able to factor them in when evaluating this season. I mean, it'd be, in my view, irresponsible to evaluate the team without taking that into account. However, you also have to consider the roster construction as a whole because every coach knows going into a season you're going to have some injuries. Maybe not to this degree, but you have to expect it. At right. some point, so you have to be able to say, okay, if this guy goes down, we got this guy waiting, or you know, if this guy misses a little bit of time, we'll be okay. And I think that's a legitimate criticism of, of Kenny, not just this season but last season as well, in terms of you know looking at the talent you have and the talent you want and executing that vision to, to get that. So I think that's where if Josh is going to look at this at the end of the year to make some sort of final decision, that would override a legitimate injury excuse of like look this is what we've been dealing with for the year um now look there's a very easy way to change that conversation and that's this team finding a heater and going on a bit of a streak which that's going to be really hard i mean going to chapel hill and taking on a good north carolina team is going to be no you know that's probably something where not pulling out nc state and not just nc state but you go back to indiana you go back to texas i mean games like that that really could have helped um could have been some deposits for Kenny that were winnable games because now you're getting into a really tough portion of the schedule where 
uh, it's going to be surprising if they can go on a bit of a run here. And and that's saying that in a year where the ACC just really isn't very good, um, but they're coming up on a tougher portion of it. So I, I hope that answers that. It was a bit of a you know bit of a ramble on my part, but I can't. I find that I can never answer questions about Louisville men's basketball in a very simple, clean manner. It feels like, or at least I try to. Understand like different parts of it instead of just like oh he's got to go this that the other it's just like it's not that simple well since you're mentioning uh, that look perceptions of the ACC are not great but North Carolina is not one of the reasons for that uh, and right. Phil and I were talking a little bit before we came uh, on the air here uh, I don't know that I've ever seen North Carolina who I just associate with getting up and down the floor uh, and, and you know transitions and secondary break and pace and all that sort of thing uh, they are a top five team on Ken Palm defensively. Uh, yeah. What is what do you think? What is Louisville up against having to go on the road at a team like North Carolina, who really doesn't seem to have an obvious weakness? Yeah, I mean, I think a, a lot of this when I look at how Louisville matches up with anybody, I think it, it really comes back to can can they just stop with any careless, dumb turnovers? You know, I mean, that that is so because the offense, if you look at the shooting numbers over the past couple games, they've shot the ball well. And they, they look like they've figured out a little bit of what's working there. But what stops that, and I think you saw it in the, in the you know, NC State opened up on, like, what, 10-0 run maybe uh, in that last game. Like, it's the same kind of careless mistakes that can really bog you down. Well, the NC State game, you had the benefit of playing at home and at least getting over some of that. At Carolina, they're going to feed off that if you start making really dumb mistakes. Um, so I think that's the starting point of attacking them. Like You know Carolina is going to focus on Huntley Hatfield and try to trap him, force him into a couple of turnovers. But you know, can your guys on the outside then step in and, and make something happen? Like you know, I, I look at Trey White can't force shots. That can't happen. He has a tendency to try to do that. I really think Sky Clark's got to try to figure something out uh, on the offensive end. There will be times where he'll make a few plays, and then there's others where you can clearly see he's trying to do too much. Um, then the other half of it is, I mean, I guess this is just an overall view of the game. Like, I, I would like to see Caleb Glenn start over uh, Duo. Like, I, I think we've seen enough of a sample size out of both guys to know what you're going to get. And that's me thinking that Caleb's got room to grow offensively. You know, he's got to learn what's open in college versus what was open in high school in terms of pulling the trigger when he's got it. But he brings you a better offensive rebounding presence. He can score inside. Uh, just overall physicality, I think he would help. Uh, but, you know, obviously that remains to be seen, too. Like, is Emmanuel Corfor finally going to be healthy to play? Uh, we, we don't know. We haven't seen him for a bit. And he would help with some of the, uh, the front court depth. But... That's that's something that I think, you know, I'm not saying, like, don't play D'Lo at all because they're not really in a position where they can just not play anybody with some of the guys that are out. But I feel like Caleb has shown a little bit more with his minutes than, than D'Lo has. Well, along those uh, same lines, uh, Tyler, talking with Tyler Grieber from WDRB, what do you make uh, about the move uh, to Hersey Miller uh, as the point yeah. guard, even if he's not playing starters minutes is is – there's at least some symbolic value in him being the starter. What did you make of that move? Well, I thought that was a good move from Kenny in that there are many fans who have pointed out, like, okay, well, if effort matters that much, then Hersey should be playing more. I don't know if that should necessarily equate to him starting, but it at least was a, a sign that 
he's rewarding a guy who is clearly, you know, busting his tail in practice and also giving effort when he's in the games. Uh, now, I don't think anybody's going to try and reasonably argue that they have a better chance to win with Percy Miller than Tyler Johnson out there. I you know, don't think that's a feasible argument. But it's at least a motion to tell Tyler, like, hey, man, like, you're probably our best chance to win, but that doesn't mean you're absolved from making mistakes or bad decisions, things of that nature. So um, now Kenny didn't directly connect those two things. Like, he didn't start – he says he did not start Hersey as a response to anything that Tyler did. But naturally, as a player, like, you would have to think, like, okay, I'm not starting this game. Like, what's going on? So that, that's just me kind of connecting a dot there. Um, but I think Hersey's fine. I mean, you just, again, you just got to temper your expectations with – with some of that, you know, there, there's going to be plays that Tyler Johnson makes that Hersey Miller can't, but there's going to be mistakes that yeah. Hersey Miller doesn't make that Tyler makes. And, and that's a key distinction. So I think he's fine to bring in as a rotational guy here or there. If you want to start him again, it does, you know, being a starter, quote unquote, it, it does. It's not only the determining factor, like go look at the minutes by the end of the game. And that's going to tell you what you need to know. Um, but I, I understood it. I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was a good way to, uh, kind of extend an olive branch to those questioning efforts saying, okay, we're rewarding effort, then Hersey Miller's going to get a start. Uh, Tyler, do you think that that is, do you, like he should also play Hersey more? Uh, or, or do you think that maybe it's enough for him to just like the starting part of it? Like, I, I think I agree with you that like, I think it's a good move and I, I'm glad to see him sort of want to reward somebody but I, I yeah. wonder about like how much does it sort of blunt it if he starts, but then Tyler plays thirty minutes or whatever. No, that's a totally fair point. I, I don't. I think he should feel more comfortable getting him some more minutes in relief spots when either Tyler or Sky have been out there uh, a little too much and trying to get them a blow. Like it, it kind of feels like they play together a decent amount, like Tyler and Sky do. So at some point, you got to sub one of them out for, for Hersey. And I, I feel like he hasn't been given a ton of opportunity there just to come in and get some valuable bench minutes. Uh, so it's a classic, like, okay, I can understand that move, but let's just tweak it a little bit here to make it more effective, if, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think he him is a bench option coming off. If, he, if his effort's not falling off, if he's not making mistakes that should send him to the bench, then, yeah, you got to put him out there or Tyler Griever, WDRB. Uh, I joked around with this with Nick Curran uh, on Sunday when we were talking about uh, it felt like the Louisville basketball team and coaching staff read Eric Crawford's article about facing rock bottom, what can Payne and Louisville do to dig out? And with the, the body language and Kenny Payne being, uh, you know, getting in Brandon Huntley Hatfield's face and, and things yeah, that people yeah, have been yeah. clamoring for for that. But just what did you make of the body language? And, and I know defensively there's still a lot of question marks there but offensively you've seen some some growth in some spots but what do you just make for the last couple games with the body language which I know Mark uh, has pointed out a couple times well first I would like to I would like to think that any of us in the media have that level of influence but (laughs) we do not I hate to spoil that for everybody but we do not um still I think the body language does look better uh, I think there is more life there because I, I remember when I called the pit effort lifeless. Like some, I think somebody attributed that attributed that, excuse me, fully to the players. I'm like, no, that's to everybody. It's not just the players, it's the whole team. Because you know, again, I, this is something I've said from the beginning of, of this whole tenure. It's like 
when things have been this bad, it's never just one person's fault. It's an all-systems failure. Like, it, it starts with a head coach, but it, it, it's everybody involved. And it, I think it's it's not it's irresponsible to try and just pin it on one party. Like, it, everybody plays a role in this. Um, anyway, but I think Eric and what he wrote was well taken, and you did see those improvements. Uh, you know, whether it was Kenny kind of getting in Brandon's face, whether it was, uh, I remember Danny Manning after, you know, Sky Clark, there was that whole thing, like, Sky brush him off or whatever, yeah. he had blood on his jersey, but he was showing him, uh, hey, look, you can't do this near a three-point shooter. They'll call it, like, most of the time. Like, I think those things are improvements. I, I don't see the players, like, I don't think that they have quit by any means. I, I don't watch, see, I, I think I watch them now, and I don't really, I don't see a letting go of the rope. I just see lapses in overall execution at times, more often than, oh, that guy's not playing hard. Now, there are some clips here and there that I think are reasonable to, to point out, whether it's a a guy not running full speed to get back and, and play some transition defense or, um, you know, questioning a rebounding effort here or two. I think that's totally fine. But as a whole, I, I more so see just overall executional lapses. And you'd rather talk about that as an issue than an effort issue. Like if the effort issue pops up, that that's a sign of a bigger problem. Um, right now, I don't see that. And I think they've made some improvement there. Uh, but what's so weird, I think, is, We've been able to say that at times, and then they'll come out with an effort. You're like, well, what the hell was that? I mean, that was yeah. not good at all. Um, so that's what you got to avoid at Chapel Hill. Again, I know we're in the business of wins and losses, uh, and I, you know, we don't want to do moral victories, especially at a place like Louisville. Um, but I also think there are times where those standards just aren't exactly applicable to the situation currently at hand. And, yeah, if you're expecting – if your expectations are Louisville's got to make the tournament or else, then, yeah, I hate to break it to you, but that's just not going to happen. It would take a miraculous turnaround for that to happen. So it's a, a negotiation you have to do with yourself as, as a fan of, like, all right, what do I find acceptable and what do I not find acceptable? And if it ends with wins and losses, then, well, you know, that's, that's totally fair. I'm not telling you otherwise. But in our job of covering the team and evaluating if they're actually getting better or not, it's not always going to end that way. Um, and that's how I looked at the NC State game. Like, yes, the result, it absolutely could have been a win. Uh, viewing it in the scope of what I've seen Louisville basketball be under Kenny Payne, that does not even crack the worst efforts I have seen from them. Not even close. I thought it was actually a pretty good one. <laughs> but, again, you just make a few mistakes, and that's, that's how thin the margin is between winning and losing, especially come conference play. Tyler Griever, WDRB man, drive safe. We appreciate you making time for us like you always do, buddy. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks. See you, Tyler. All right. Good stuff. Uh, good stuff uh, from him, as always. And, look, it, it's it's kind of a, a two-edged sword The just to, to leap off of what he was just talking about there, Phil. Uh, the, the team is better. Like, there are things that are improvements, but the fact that there are some things that are improvements are improvements is kind of a condemnation, too. Like, you know, for him to point out there, uh, I'm watching this team, and I don't really – I don't see a team that's that's quit or, or, or let go of the rope, to use his phrase, uh, but there are lapses in execution, and that's progress, and it is. But it's like that shouldn't be progress. Like, we ought to have been able to assume that kind of from the get-go, and then it's, it's literally about how well you can get a team to execute game in and game out. And so it, it, it doesn't feel good to talk about – Stuff that very clearly is 
progress along a path towards the team being better. Uh, but then immediately sort of turn around and be like, but why are we having to talk about that? But that's that's kind of where we are. Well, it, it, it feels like it, it, it just kind of dawned to be there were some like general ed like classes that you could test out of. Right. Like in, in college to try to get out to go up to the next level. And it feels like there was this approach from the coaching staff that was like, OK, we need to take all of these classes in order to build up when some of the guys were maybe a little bit more advanced than they need. And, and they're just not retaining it. And, and I don't know if that's the system, if that's it felt like he was operating as if he had six. This was going to be a six year rebuild. And it's like there was no sense of urgency that um, you're like, oh, crap, like I got to graduate like in a year. And that's kind of like, you know, like I've been, I'm not Van Wilder in this and I'm not going to be here for, you know, six, seven years. Like you need to operate as if you have like, you know, two years. But yes, if this was last year, it's a different conversation. And and I think that's what a lot of people uh, continue to go back to. And and that gets you off the list of what Jeff Goodman deemed as his worst hire and everything for the messenger. And I know people are going to have some fun and point with that. But again, I caution you, as we talked about earlier. Just know that this individual was very, very pleased uh, in Laser Focus that it's going to be a home run and things like that. And, and that's that's the machine. That is the machine of college basketball and college athletics as a whole. Do you think that there's any place, like mentally, for for either media who were sure about this uh, or, or even Josh in a search firm uh, for sitting down and asking themselves, like, how did we miss all of this? Right? How did we get this 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 wrong? Because I, I surely the, this hasn't been fun for anybody. They they haven't gained anything really from this except for just chronologically passing the time through kind of the end of the the uh, the, the quote unquote black cloud sort of over the program and NCAA stuff. But I would hope, Phil, that like we learned some lessons here, or else this has all been in vain. And in particular, uh, I would think. You know, I don't want Josh to execute the next search where it's like, let me just hire the opposite of Kenny. Like, I don't want him to overcorrect the other way, but I do think maybe way higher on the list than we would have put it in previous times or previous searches or whatever. The whole idea of just sort of like your overall orientation towards the outside, like we, you cannot hire a hermit. You just can't. Like the next person has got to be the world's biggest extrovert, whoever it is, because there needs to be some real overcorrection there. I just don't think you can hire uh, guys in Chris Mack or, or Kenny Payne's kind of mold who just want the minimal amount of attention, you know, and, and to be quiet and, and homebodies and stuff like that. We, it doesn't work. It can't happen next time. Well, and, and as you pointed out, like maybe looking internally, whether it be the search form, uh, and that's why they pay these things to try to find these personality traits that you're alluding to and, and hide behind those so that no one can do an open record request to, to see who they were interviewing, things like that. But I, I say this all the time, like somebody like when Greer was filling in on the V show a lot, then doing radio with you, it was kind of conveyed to him somebody like Greg Gar at Wisconsin would be kind of somebody on the, the and I say Steve Forbes is the suggestion you've brought up multiple times of just not scoffing at that. That's all. That's the only exercise I want to see is just don't go zero to scoffing at possible coaches that you're like, really them? Greg Gar and Wisconsin's number eight in the country right now. Like again, there's, there's, yeah. th- there's 
good coaches out there that just may be under your radar that you just may not think just because they didn't go to school here, win a championship here, or you're well aware of that. Like that's how the next guys come up and, and they're kind of can climb the ladder of the sport. But no, I, I'm with you. Some of the personality traits uh, you're going to need just because they're on you know ESPN Plus right now and, and they may have a big personality. They may just be hidden from you right now. Those are some things that I just don't want people to scoff at because those individuals and coaches are going to be out there because it's quite frankly, it's it's time for the, the up and coming young guys to come, you know, step up now. And as you see what's happening with Tom Izzo right now, in Michigan State, like the, it's for the taking mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I don't think we should yeah, be in the you, place to be, you know, dismissive of Kansas. I've said this before. It's just because, like you said, Phil, these guys we're not talking about that. Maybe it's just they're just not on your radar. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're not like following the sport, but like something like James Madison, like the coach there. I'm not saying that's who Louisville's going to go after, but like I'm not going to scoff at that Indiana, um, you know, State's coach or something like that, who's I mean, apparently some offensive wizard. Dusty like, May two years ago, no one had heard of him outside like Conference USA lovers or whatever. But you know, it made the Final Four last year. And now. He was a candidate I like, but I know he has you know a couple quad four losses that people scoff at, and I get it. Well, and along those same lines, before we take a quick break here, uh, Mick Cronin has kind of, if he really has had any intentions of like entertaining, possibly taking this job, he's really hurt himself not on, on not one but two fronts. Obviously, this season has been a disaster, and that's going to sort of bring down uh, some of his. Uh, favorable ratings in people's minds, but I think the way he has handled local media and, and, and demeanor-wise, I think people are going to look at that and be like, well, we can't do that either. Like, I think he's really injured himself kind of on two fronts. So that's things uh, to keep in mind uh, going forward here. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back. Jeff Walls, uh, his team continues to roll along in ACC play. We'll talk with him on the other side here on The Drive on Night Thunderville. Be right back. Where do you go to find all your favorite wine, beer, and spirits with selections customized to local tastes? For over 25 years, that go-to place has been Cox's Spirit Shop. Cox's, Louisville's go-to liquor store. Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. You're listening to The Drive, presented by Fitness Market, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Now, here's Mark Ennis and Phil Baker. Welcome back into The Drive here on 93.9 The Ville. Mark Ennis, Phil Baker sitting in here until about 5 o'clock or so. Uh, Efforting Jeff Walls, Phil, I just saw this uh, report uh, here from, uh, originating at least with Fox uh, 4 in Kansas City, that uh, they had 70 calls to first responders, and we'll get to Jeff Walls here in just a second, during the Chiefs game because of the extreme cold, including 15 people hospitalized with hypothermia uh, or symptoms like that. Uh, that is crazy uh, for any game uh, like that. But joining us now here, Jeff Walls, head coach of the Louisville women's basketball team. He joins us here. Jeff, you ever been to any kind of a crazy uh, game like that with that sort of uh, environment to try and watch something? 
You know what? I, I consider myself a, a fan of, of college sports, professional sports, but uh, I just think I got a little more common sense than some. My couch is great. <laughs> the TV works really well. The fireplace burns. No, I'm not going to go sit out in four degrees, negative temperature. Um, I, I guess you can call me a fair weather fan. <laughs> no, you're a poor weather fan. You're, you're, you have no part of that. I'm with you uh, on that. Uh, compl- I, you couldn't possibly get me out there uh, as well. Jeff, we've been talking about this on kind of a regular basis now, about you wanting to see the team take some steps defensively. Uh, and it seems like now this is multiple games in a row uh, where you're getting a bit more of that defensive effort like you like to see, especially in the second quarter uh, where you outscore Wake Forest 26-8. to eight. Uh, What are you seeing overall? from the team uh, defensively? Is it starting to really click here, or is this something that you're still having to really hammer home every time? No, I mean, we obviously work on it every day in practice, but I've seen some growth. I've seen some some progress. We are getting better. Uh, our rotations are better. You know, our, our, our communication is better. Now it's just getting longer stretches. We, we've got to get to be longer stretches of, of games. Um, and as I think as we progress, as we continue to get, uh, you know, more games uh, under our belt and more comfortable with each other, um, I'm hoping that you will see that. Uh, Jeff, we've talked a lot about, you know, embracing, you know, transfers and trying to get a team together uh, and learning to play together and play together for you and the way you like to do things. Have you had to uh, simplify what you've done early in the season, maybe in comparison to other years where there wasn't quite so much uh, turnover with the roster and that sort of thing? Uh, and, and does that mean that you've had to sort of go later in the year trying to introduce new things here, or, or is it just really not made that much of a difference? No, I, I don't think it's made that big of a difference for us. I think what it, what it comes down to is instead of adding, you know, two or three players, uh, each year, because you know, a, a lot of times you you bring in a freshman class. If two or three of them step in right away and they're really making significant contributions, you know, it normally will take will take some time because they're trying to get caught up defensively with what the team's been doing throughout the you know the past three years for some of them. Well, we brought in I, I think eight new players. So you've got eight new faces, eight new ways that they were taught to play at the defensive end of the floor and offensive end. So it just takes a little bit longer. And, you know, we're fortunate to have a summer to be able to go up to Canada and play to get some practice time in. But that's not something that just, you know, gels over a month and a half, two months period. This is something that, that takes some time. And I think now, everybody's getting comfortable with who's able to do what on the offensive end of the floor. Who's our best on-ball defender? Who needs to, needs help in the gap more? Um, they're, they're, start, they're starting to understand that. They're starting to get a better feel for each other's game, and I think that's why we're starting to see some progress. You know, and then when you get down to the end of games, uh, you know, if we, if we have a big lead, there, there are times that we might not look great defensively, and that's that, that, that's on me because I'm trying to get players play as much playing time as possible that might not get out there as much as, as they'd like. And with that, I might have three posts on the floor at one time. 
So now I've got one of them that's playing out of position that they really don't practice defending the guard, and now they have to. So there's some things towards the end of a game, last four or five minutes, that I don't put a lot of stock in because I know in a crunch time, in a game in the first, second, third quarter, they're not going to be out there guarding the the other team's shooting guard. So why are you doing that? You know, for sort of the, the onlooker from the outside, why are you? Why those experiments like that at the end of the game? Well, because I wanted to play too back in the day when I was at Northern Kentucky. <laughs> I wasn't getting playing time, so so put me on the six eight kid to get me an extra two minutes. I don't care, you know. Hmm. So you're trying to give him that opportunity to get out. Of, I'm not experimenting with anything. I'm just trying to give as many players the opportunity to play as many minutes as possible, and. Because of the fact we might have a, a couple post players at the you know that, that aren't getting as much time as they want, I'm putting three of them out there at a time so all three of them can get some run in and, and get the feel of being out there on the floor and playing in a game. So yeah, that's exactly why I, I do it because I think every kid likes to play. Are you in some of those situations just kind of? curious what you'll see like i realize this is maybe not the most fair thing to do to somebody but let's see how they handle it and maybe i'll learn just a little bit more about them even if it's not necessarily like a great matchup or a great situation like you were saying that they haven't even practiced well I, yeah yes and no i mean it's never something i'm i'm gonna hold against them ah she got beat sure. three times he should get beat three times that, that it's a, a, a athletic wing going going up against our five player every possession there's a difference if you switch off onto somebody you know for a for 10 or 15 seconds in a, in a possession but every time down the floor matched up with them is normally not going to be a good a good thing for you so you know i do look okay can they keep them in front of them for three or four dribbles uh how how do they do with that how's our box out how are they passing the ball so it's more so an opportunity for them to show me what they can do, but I'm never going to say, okay, now she she can't play because I had her in a bad spot, and then she ended up not not looking good. We're talking with Jeff Walls uh, here on the drive on Ninth Under the Bell. Jeff, I know last time we talked, we talked about uh, we talked philosophically a lot about three point shooting. You wanted to see it get a little bit better and how you do that and maybe why it might be struggling. You guys go seven for 11, uh, three-point shooting in the last game. Was it uh, – but, like, that's fewer attempts, but you made seven of them. Were, were they a little more sparing, but they took better shots? Why were you guys think you were maybe a little bit more efficient there? Well, it's all coaching. <laughs> of course, coaching. of course. <laughs> uh, you know, I showed them how, how to shoot. They finally listened, and we start to make them. So the game. Do you think you should have maybe done that sooner then? <laughs> well, no, I do it. I've, I've done it all year. They just pick and choose when they listen to me. I got you it. know, got so, it. no, <laughs> we're just, it, it's a, I, I think it's a group that's realizing we don't have to take a, a ton of threes. We're still scoring close to 80 points a game. Now we're getting a higher percentage. Our feet are set. There's nobody flying out at us. They're open threes. They're more so off the pass instead of off the bounce. So small things like that that will increase your percentage. Now, am I expecting us to go 7 for 11 every night? No. But we definitely have improved uh, the past two weeks, and I'm hoping to see that continue as we go to, to, to Clemson here tomorrow for a Thursday night game, and I'm anticipating them to play a lot of zones. 
Yeah. Okay. So you kind of beat me there. I was going to ask you, what do you, what do you think you're going to get from Clemson? What are you up against uh, in, in a road ACC game in that one? Well, it, it, it's a team that it's one in four in league play, but if you look at the standings, they've played everybody in, in, in the top half of the league. So their schedule is front end loaded heavily. Uh, they had an 11 point lead going into the fourth quarter up at Syracuse, got beat by one. They lose at Carolina by, I think, four or six in a game that they were leading late. Uh, they beat Duke at home by 16 or 18. So they've lost. They're, they're one and four in league, but they, they've been in every single game. And that's where I've been trying to make sure our players are prepared and they understand, you know, don't look at their record because they're much better than what their record shows. And they've also got, you know, one of the leading scorers in the league. Um, she's shooting 50-something percent from the, from in, from the field overall, 41% from three, and about 83% from the free throw line, uh, averaging 20 a night. So they've, they've got some players. So we're going to have to come out, and we're going to have to be on our A game for sure. Jeff, we appreciate the fact that you always uh, make time for us here uh, during the season like this. Look forward to talking to you again soon here down the road, buddy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, guys. Take care. All right. Jeff Walls, good stuff uh, as always there. He sounds upbeat. Like, I think I think he really likes this team. And I don't know. It, it, I'm not trying to say anything about any other team or last year or anything like that. But he's been on regularly now, you know, throughout this season. I feel like this is a guy uh, – He's having fun with this group. No, and it's funny. Uh, when I get the bingo card out for Curran, when he does the comparison to a Jeff Walls-led team or motivational speech that he's given, I, I can kind of tell when Kern perks up a little bit that he's kind of reincarnating like what Jeff, uh, you know, Jeff Walls is uh, conveying to the teams. That he's just Kern's feeling good about this team too, which tells me that Jeff Walls is feeling good about the team. Yeah, you can just, I think you can just hear it in his tone of voice uh, there. In particular, I think when you get things like the, well, it's all coaching, you know, th those kinds of comments uh, like that, like that's, that's not somebody who's pulling his hair out uh, from coaching that, this team this year, which I, I don't think we could say about last year's team. Yeah, I heard you and Biscuit talking about it a little bit yesterday. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think there's, you've seen some glimpses uh, of, you know, you hate going zero to Haley Van Lint and everything, but you know, she's, <laughs> but it feels like, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, addition by subtraction on some things. Uh, it seems like that, 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 unfortunately, I think with some really, really skilled players, it can be like that. Uh, we've seen that. I, I, I'm not against the idea of like saying this is uh, addition by subtraction. That happens. And, and there are morale. Uh, and, and like personality management things that go on behind the scenes that really play heavily in, in those kinds of discussions that we just never get to see. Uh, but what I hate is when people just declare that somebody leaving is going to be good because it'll be addition by subtraction. Man, it might be. <laughs> right. But a lot of times that's just a good player leaving. Like you don't know that. And I really hate when people say that so definitively. They don't know. No, no, for sure. No, I, I think that's uh, something that some folks tend to – uh, gravitate toward when it's like a bittersweet feeling, like when that initially happens and Haley Van Lith left, that you know everyone has their feelings about Kim Mulkey and, and whatnot. It's it's easy to latch on to that narrative for sure. I'm just saying, Tennessee football won a title the year after Peyton Manning left. <laughs> Makes you wonder. See what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Texture says this, uh, Phil. I think you'll enjoy this. Nick pisses me off every Sunday. LOL. Yeah, no, we get that. We get that a lot. Uh, he, he's very patient with coaches. Uh, they're snake bit uh, until the very end. God bless him. He's consistent. You can call him a lot of things, but he is consistent. Damn it. He's there. There's been times where Locke has been texting me from elliptical at a planet fitness. I'm sure on his beautiful Sunday morning or his walk. And, <laughs> and uh, he says, I wish I lived in the, the Nick Curran world. And it's like, yeah, no, I get that a lot. He was never, I mean, he was critical of set when it warranted it, but he was never on the fire sack campaign at no. all. And no. like, and I was with him like after the year, whatever three, he was like, you probably don't need to move on from in there. But then in like year four, it's like, they're two and four, Nick. At some point, you got to maybe jump ship. Yeah, no, he, he he won't. He won't. He says it takes time, and you got to be patient with them. Look, that's 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 his mo right there. By the way, did you see uh, the Ohio State AD news right there? Yeah, so this was on my sheet yesterday, and we just never got to it. Uh, but yes, I am uh, stunned. I don't know what else. I don't know what other word to use uh, than than stunned. Ross Bjork. Uh, famously of Ole Miss and then Texas A&M fame now introduced as the athletic director or uh, will be the athletic director come July 1st at Ohio State. Uh, I'm I'm completely shocked by this. And this is one of those, uh, just like saying like uh, when, when guys get jobs and you're like, what? They must be amazing interviews or something. Uh, Ross Bjork, I, I don't know what he does that's so magical that he's fallen all the way up to being the athletic director at Ohio State. Uh, but I'm I'm stunned. This this guy's a goober. I, I, I don't get it. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, in particular, because Ohio State and Gene Smith, the athletic director there before, was such a, a, a like a titanic figure in in college athletics and was always viewed as as one of those kind of AD of ADs guys. Uh, and when Ohio State weighs in on things, it's a really, really big deal. And, man, I don't feel that way about Ross Bjork. I, Phil, I don't get it. Former Western it. Kentucky AD. Listen to how quickly he's like traveled all over the country. So he was the Western Kentucky Development Office, Missouri Athletic Development Office, Miami Associate AD, Miami, Florida, that is, UCLA Senior Associate AD from 2005 to 2010. Back to Western Kentucky as the AD. Then to Old Miss from 2012 to 19, 19, 2019 to 2023, Texas A&M, and then he'll be at Ohio State. Boy, he has logged up some miles on that. And, and I go back to a, in an alternate universe. Let's say Mark Stoops was hired there. I mean, how do you feel today? I mean, heck, take it a step further. Elko like was like, uh, what just happened? Like the guy that hired me is no longer here. What? Right, you, you, before you ever coach a game, the guy that hired you is gone. Uh, and really, uh, there are two parts of this that really shock me. Uh, the, the first, you know, Ross Bjork was at Ole Miss during the Hugh Freeze NCAA violations stuff and was fully prepared to stick with Hugh Freeze through all of it until the prostitute stuff also popped up. Uh, and yeah, then, that's a problem. Uh, right you would think uh but then made a move there and then and and more recently as the athletic director at a&m by by all accounts was dead set on hiring mark stoops he wanted to hire mark stoops and really got overruled by wealthy folks and kind of a general like booster uprising that stopped him from doing it but you and i were both there 
the morning of the Louisville and Kentucky football game, uh, everybody's phones were sort of buzzing here that like as soon as this game's over, he's headed there. Like, and he got overruled. How in the world is Ohio State going to hire somebody to get overruled at A and M? Yeah, no, it's it, it's a on wild. the football coach. Uh, yeah, I know <laughs> that it, it is wild. But I guess your best ability is be availability, and he is available. He's just bounced around all over the country multiple times, so he's uh, he's ready to make the move. But yeah, in an alternate universe, Mark Stoops could uh, get the bag. And uh, then just not feel good about his job security at an alternate multiverse. But now uh, good old Elko is in that situation down there. And, you know, Ohio State, they want to run Ryan Day out because he can't beat Michigan. So Mark Stoops, the, the Ohio Gosh, State god. That What, could, need, go, what we, could go wrong there? We need there? a Zachy C corner on that at some point. Youngstown strong right there. <laughs> yeah, It's because, gosh. Stoops would flame out it. I mean, he does beat the rival, though. We know I, I that. will say so this. He would beat Michigan every year. I mean, th- there's something to be said about the Ohio states of the world that could just kind of roll out of bed and just, you know, th- it. they'll always have talent. So, like, yeah, there's, you know, even a squirrel, a blind squirrel finds a nut occasionally. So, yeah, that's, I think Mark Stoops occasionally could maybe find some success there. But I'm curious to see if Ryan Day doesn't work out there who his first calls to. Well, that that is the that's the part I think. Look, the whole Hugh Freeze thing at, at Ole Miss. I would have been worried about a guy who intended to ride that out with, with the way everything went. Uh, but more than that, he did not. He did not originally hire Jimbo at A and M, but did extend that deal uh, uh, for Jimbo there, which made it even more uh, expensive. But also brought in. DJ Durkin and all these guys that nobody really likes, including Bobby Trino at AM too, and then tried to make a hire and got overruled. And a lot of people looked at it like, mm, I'm not really sure about that one. And knowing that he's coming into Ohio State with the basketball coach, shaky ground, Chris Holtman, shaky, not mm-hmm. like on the hot seat necessarily. But of course, Ryan Day, very much on tilt with how things are going uh, at Michigan. And that's the guy you want to bring in. Uh, and you know he's going to be, I would think, itching to make a football hire uh, as the AD, sort of put your stamp on things. I don't, man, it's just not that I know who they should hire. Uh, I don't pretend, I don't have uh, power rankings for athletic directors, but if I did, Ross Bjork's not on it. I can tell you that. Well, it seems very telling, too, like of what happened or transpired with the Mark Stoops scenario of having wealthy boosters with a say kind of overrule him. And it's you'd think maybe, again, the Ohio State strikes me as a place not as crazy as Texas A&M, but you would think there would be some of that there as well. Maybe not to um, that extreme, but you would think there would be some dabbling in and interfering if they weren't happy with a hire he was making. But those people down in Aguilar yeah. are crazy. Well, uh, and I would, man, I would just wonder... If if you can't be like otherworldly successful at Texas A and M, what are we doing, right? Like, there's but if you have boosters that are micromanaging everything, though, that your every move again, I'm not saying Mark Stoops was going to be the savior of all that, but how how effectively can you do your job if it's constantly being interfered with some board of trust? And not saying constantly, but if you can't go after the individuals you want and you're getting interfered, I'm with you. Like with all the money they have down there in the oil tycoons, you would think it would be. Uh, the home run higher after home run higher, but obviously something's not working down there because people keep interfering and it keeps getting uh, very, very wealthy off some of these contracts, but they're not able to uh, like translate to massive wins and national championships or that they want down there. Yeah, I'm uh, just entirely shocked uh, by that hire. Although, again, 
I don't know who sounds like like somebody that is ready for that job, but it's obviously sort of one of those AD jobs that would be highly coveted, but man, it also sounds like uh, with things uh, in good shape at Michigan, at least for now, uh, you got your work cut out for you. Phil, I appreciate you sitting here, buddy. One more hour uh, for us to go here. We'll take a quick break and be right back here on The Drive on Antonville. Be right back.